Welcome to Beyond the Bio, a podcast that shares the stories of our extraordinary people from their own perspectives. You can read their bios online, but those hardly scratch the surface of who they are and the great work that they're doing. I'm Keith Bevins, a partner and global head of consultant recruiting at Bain. Joining me today is Sam Rovit, a partner in our Chicago office. And actually, Sam was my first partner when I joined Bain back in 1996. Today, we'll talk with Sam about his background, leaving Bain and returning multiple times, and the great work he's done at Bain and outside the firm. Sam, welcome. Thanks, Keith. You know, it's, we've known each other for an awful long time, and I think this is the first time that I've ever shared any of my pre-Bain background. So it's a delight to be here. Cool. The rumors precede you. So I had heard a lot about it over the years and bits and pieces talking with you and and different members of your family, actually. I do know that you started your career as a reporter in D.C. after getting your B.A. at Duke. What was the career vision you had for yourself back then? I had no career vision. I it sounds hard to believe now, but I graduated Duke without doing a single interview, mainly because I had no clue what I wanted to do. Part of that was that I come from a background where most of my relatives were artists and academics. There really were no role models in business. So I studied some journalism in college. I moved to D.C. with a bunch of friends because it was the thing to do back in the 70s. And I worked for a while as a waiter, a bouncer, a short-order cook, a motorcycle messenger. And I eventually took a job at a law firm, hated it. I could not imagine spending my life shepherdizing and sight-checking. So I went and hitchhiked through Europe until a job opened up as a reporter covering energy policy at a newsletter. And I did that for a year. And remember, this was the 70s. Energy policy was a big deal then. And I realized that with some friends, there were pretty low barriers to the newsletter business. So we started a company that focused on telecom, right place, right time, because within months of starting our business, AT&T was deregulated, telecom exploded, and we were right in the middle of it. Our subscribers were senior execs at all the major telecom companies, the CIA, foreign governments. And we ran that business for three years, added some more newsletters, and then sold the company. But then you went back for another master's degree before your MBA or during that degree, during that time? No. So after we sold the company, six years in Washington had convinced me, A, I didn't want to be a reporter, and B, I didn't want to be a politician. So I thought foreign service sounded intriguing. I had actually grown up in France. And I heard about Fletcher, great reputation, sounded fun. And so I went to Fletcher specializing in international security, which is really the study of war. And I started reading Sun Tzu, von Clausewitz, all the founders of game theory, really just because it was interesting, but I had no idea what I was going to do with it. And it was only after my first year interviewing for summer jobs with one child on the way that I realized I probably needed to start thinking seriously about getting a job. And I took some courses on international business. My professor was an HBS grad and he encouraged me to apply. And really that was the major turning point, which was a good thing since I was now 30. So did you go straight from Tufts, the Fletcher School, over to HBS or did you work in between those two? I actually went uh, straight from one grad program to the next, but in between in the summer, I had a job at a boutique consulting firm, which was my first exposure. And that experience combined with the case study method clicked with me because what I found was there's a real analog between gathering facts and writing a story as a reporter and gathering data and analyzing cases as a consultant. 
Did you find the transition from writing in full sentences to bullets difficult at first? Very difficult. I'd say my first year as a consultant, I struggled. It took me a while to move away from a narrative to an answer first with slides, but eventually I got there. And, and what I particularly liked about Bain, having had my own company, was the practicality of it, the focus on results. And remember, at this time, consulting firms weren't talking about results. Bain was unusual. And I remember, I remember Bill Bain saying, when I was a summer associate, that his goal was for Bain to be so inextricably linked with delivering results that just the rumor that a company had hired Bain would lead to a pop in their stock price. Very cool. So you, you said in there that you summered at Bain. Do you remember what project you were working on and when the light bulb went on and you said, hey, I might actually be able to do this, like for, for real? Yeah, I, my uh, summer project was, I had two summer projects actually. One of them was because of my Fletcher background. And it's sort of interesting thinking about it now, given what's happened with Brexit. But back then, this was 1988, people were looking at the common market, the European Union, one currency. And so I did some research to educate clients with some IP on what that could mean. And my other client was a nutraceutical company. It was a food company, of all things, given my later career, that had married in a joint venture with a pharma company and developed new products. Very cool. So you do your summer at Bain. Presumably things go well in those two projects. You get the offer to come back. And then you return to Bain. Did you return to Bain in Boston or did you move around the world a little bit? So remember, I had wanted to be a diplomat. I had spent part of my childhood in going back and forth between Europe and the U.S. And so the fact that Bain had foreign offices was a huge, huge plus for me. So I started in London, which was very exciting. It was one of the biggest offices in the system then. I got to work in Germany, France, Italy, the UK. It was all very exotic. And I took advantage of it every Friday night. My wife would load up the kids into our cherry red BMW, pick me up at the Bain office in London, and we would drive to Dover and take the P&O ferry over to the continent. We did a lot of traveling. About a year and a half after I got to London, a lot of my colleagues had migrated down under, and an opening appeared in Sydney. I came home and I asked my wife, what do you think? And she went, Let's do it. And so the next thing we knew, we were living in Australia and we, we lived there for almost three years. So how long were you actually a consultant in London with us? A year and a half. And then Sydney for a couple more years. So did you get promoted to manager in Sydney? I was promoted to manager in Sydney. What was interesting about that was it was a very, very small office. So Boston was huge. London was huge. Sydney was probably 20 people when I got there. And so what happens in a small office is you do everything as a manager from unjamming the paper copier to selling cases. Right. And some of the people that are regular listeners to the podcast will know that we uh, recently interviewed Lalit Reddy, who has gone back and forth from the States to India, opening up different offices and had a very similar experience doing whatever needs to get done on any given day to get the office up and running. Quite an interesting time. So at some point in your career, you decided to leave Bain for the first time. Maybe you could walk me from there, you know, from Sydney to you know, your career path until you decided to make that first transition. Yeah, so as much as we loved Australia, when the kids were starting to speak with an Aussie accent and we weren't seeing family and friends, it's, people don't happen to just pass through Sydney, we relocated back to San Francisco. And a year after, I was promoted to partner and John Donahoe, who was running the San Francisco office, he said, we'd like you to go to uh, help start up the fledgling Chicago office. 
And lo and behold, my very first client was a meat packer in Sioux City, Iowa. I remember a B-School professor told us before we graduated, go where the MBAs aren't. And I can assure you, I accomplished that with my next few years in Sioux City, Iowa. So it's not a surprise that I became the meat expert at Bain. And when a private equity firm invested in Swift & Company, which was a spinoff from ConAgra, I was called in to help them retool their sales and marketing. And subsequently, the CEO left and the board asked if I would take over. At the time, Swift had 20,000 employees, plants and feedlots across the US and Australia. How could I say no? And in my two years running Swift, I realized I really liked leading teams and seeing strategies all the way through to execution. So at Swift, up until that point, you had had, you had run a company, you had built that company, you sold it, you went back to school, you became a consultant for a long time. Now you're given the keys to a company as the chief executive officer thousands of employees around the world. Actually, your work in that industry was where we first met, working in the protein industry. What were some of the things that were surprising to you, leading a company that big when you made the transition from consulting to, you know, to truly being an operator? Well, what I discovered is, no surprise, the things that occupy a chief executive are not the big issues of the day. A lot of the issues that you're wrestling with as a senior executive have to do with personnel issues, regulatory issues, legal issues, things that in general as a consultant we don't tend to wade into. So I found that interesting. I was fortunate to have be able to draw on Bain, so I was a Bain client during that time. I was also, uh, let's say, I, I got an education in immigration policy, as those of you who follow the, uh, the agricultural sector are aware. It's a somewhat challenged sector when it comes to uh, employment. But overall, I would say that the toolkit and the experience at Bain was enormously helpful in preparing me to run a major business. Right, and I remember keeping in touch and having a lot of friends, not just people that I worked with at Bain, but other friends in the office sort of working with you while you were at Swift. And it was no surprise, because it seemed like in some ways you were still a part of the Bain family, that you came back a few years later. I believe you came back to start the corporate renewal group, CRG. What was that experience like, and what was the draw to bring you back to Bain? After we sold Swift to uh, JBS of Brazil, I saw an opportunity to take some of the learnings that I had uh, developed as an executive back to Bain. And consultants tend to focus a lot of time on the income statement, whereas when you're running a business, you spend a lot of time in the balance sheet, especially if you're in a leverage situation. So I came back through the corporate renewal group to help develop clients that were highly levered and had run into difficulty. At that point, cash becomes the strategy. And I also helped develop IP on cash and capital management. Right. And a lot of those products and a lot of those tools are still a part of Bain today. You know, almost what well, it's got to be over a decade later, right? Yep. Talk about what it was like building that practice and that capability inside Bain. Because I, I remember watching from the outside as Bain adopted and incorporated and integrated an entirely new skill set and an entirely new way of looking at the business. And having worked on a couple of turnaround projects earlier in my career, it gets real very quickly when you're looking at the bank account and your operations and making decisions with those things in mind. What was it like getting Bain's arms around all of that at the time? So I think there are two parts of that. The first is, you know, the firm has a history of investing in startups and new ideas, which is pretty exciting. At the time, we thought that there was an opportunity to take the Bain toolkit and augment it with a lot of the things that you see in restructuring to focus on companies that were 
at the edge of a restructuring but hadn't tipped over yet. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, it was fascinating to try and incubate and develop a new capability and a new business and a new P&L within Bain & Company. And I would say that the firm management was tremendously supportive. We actually had to go out, though, and recruit talent because this space where a company goes into restructuring, it's a different universe. It's a host of lawyers and bankers that are very, very specialized. And you need to have specialized people on the inside, people who can step in and be a chief restructuring officer, people who can develop a 13-week cash flow. So I think it was an interesting experience. We added a lot to the Bain balance sheet, if you will, Mm -hmm. in terms of capabilities. Right. But as you do, at some point, you had another really fantastic opportunity outside of Bain. Talk a little bit about the decision to leave again and take on a, a very, in my opinion, a very visible role at a very visible company. So a good friend and a former Bain partner of mine actually had uh, left to be head of strategy at Kraft Foods, and he had just completed the acquisition and integration of Cadbury, which was a transformational move for Kraft. Kraft had been spun out of Altria 10 years previously, and for a variety of reasons, the stock was still in the same place. I had a lot of respect for Irene, who was CEO at the time, and she was looking for a new strategy leader. And it looked like a very interesting time to help join and transform the business. So I left Bain to be head of strategy at Kraft Foods. And uh, one of the things that we were dealing with at the time was um, an activist in the stock that had been pushing to split the company. So I led a Skunk Works team to evaluate the split. We concluded it made no sense. However, there was a lot of pressure. We continued to turn it over and turn it over. And we actually figured out a way to create value by splitting the company into a snacks, global snacks business and a domestic grocery business Mm -hmm. and changing the strategy of craft. I spent a year co-managing the split of the company and then went on to run the planters business, which was a turnaround, and then the Oscar Mayer Lunchables business, which was fascinating and, and uh, again, met tremendous people at Kraft, hired Bain multiple times, and helped launch a new brand, P3, and created a new category, protein snacking. Mm-hmm. When you talk a little bit about the turnaround situation, were you drawing on some of the same skills that you had developed in, in the corporate renewal group and thinking about you know, companies that really need to do something radically different to improve? Well, the, the turnaround at Planters was actually classic Bain strategy. It was Planters had been focused on the growth nuts, like wonderful, but the only reason that pistachios were growing is because someone had invested a lot of money in them and they'd neglected peanuts. And what we did was to say, you know, your core, the core of your core is peanuts. Be the best peanut player. So mm-hmm. we started innovating peanut flavors, peanut packaging, and advertising again. Right, right, right. And that led to great results. Yeah. Presumably. Very cool. So presumably the success at the end of that was, was all good. It was a great experience. I loved working in the, the branded business. I loved working alongside uh, some of the talented craft. And I left just before the 3G acquisition because I wanted to go be a CEO again. And I, I could sort of see the writing on the wall as to where craft was going to go. Right. So where did you go after that? After that, I went to run a food service manufacturing business that serviced the largest QSRs in the space. So we made the soup for Panera. We made the burgers for Burger King. A very tough business and a business that you think you never think about when you walk into a QSR or a casual dining restaurant. But you know, most of that product is actually pre-made somewhere else. And that's what we did. 
Right. And for those of you who are new to the industry, QSR is quick serve restaurant. Give other Thanks. examples, other examples of QSRs that people might know. That's right. So we actually serviced all the major uh, fast food restaurant chains from Burger King to Jack in the Box to Carl's and Hardee's, mm-hmm. Subway. We made soup. We made burgers. We made fajita meat. We made beans. A fascinating industry, but a very tough business because you don't have a brand. And one of the things that I really have a passion for now is brands. And one of the reasons I came back to Bain a third time is the opportunity to work with some of the big branded food companies, have an impact with them and also help develop the next generation of leaders. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. You've now been back for a little while. I came in to work and I saw the email over the weekend and then I came in and our offices are actually right next door to each other. What is the focus of of the third go round at Bain for you? Yeah, so I've been a Bain client as a CEO, as an executive committee staffer, as an independent board member. And I think being on the other side of the table has given me a, a keen appreciation for the kind of operational challenges of implementing the kind of great work that we, we do at Bain. And I'm, I'm excited about being able to contribute as a consultant advisor again, mm-hmm. both in terms of you know, leading client work, but also developing people at Bain. Right. And talk a little bit about the people development, because the Chicago office you joined, which I think John referred to it as a fledgling office of 20 people, is now an office on multiple floors, 600 plus people in the building. How has that changed? And how how do you see yourself fitting into a much bigger office with a, a big need for, you know, continued mentoring and coaching as we continue to grow and be successful? Well, I think that's the part that I like most about Bain is the the mentoring, the coaching. It happens within the team environment. So it's not standing in front of a room and talking to 100 people. It's working with someone at a client on a problem and thinking about their development and what they need to do to get to the next level. That's really what excites me. It's the it's the more intimate side. I think that's where this firm has always done us a superb job. So for those people who are listening to your journey, starting out you know, as a journalist, holding a bunch of different jobs, a couple of different degrees, consulting, operations, senior executive, what advice would you give to people that are listening that are at the front end of their career journey in terms of how to plan for things? I hear a lot of students asking me about you know, their 15-year their plan and taking a very linear path to that. And frankly, everybody that I talk to has taken an entirely different path, often not the one they set out on when they started. As you look back over your journey, sort of what advice would you give to people that are on the front end of a similar journey? Obviously, my journey looks like a pinball in a pinball machine. In a million years, I could never have predicted where I would be today. My advice is take risks. For me, taking risks going to multiple offices was a hugely liberating experience. And I, I have friends all the way around the world. I've, I've worked and lived in foreign cultures. Taking risks, like going out and taking a job when you're not sure you're really up to it, right? It was terrifying to take the reins of a $10 billion company having never run a large company before. But take those risks and don't worry as much about where you're going to end up as worry about what you're going to learn and who you're going to be working with. Awesome advice, Sam. Thanks. And I'm glad to have been the beneficiary of it over my 23 years at Bain, as are many of my colleagues who have worked with you over the years, both on the consulting side and on the client side. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Keith. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to Beyond the Bio wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you soon with a new episode.